Welcome to Full Scope, a weekly medical podcast designed to teach, inspire, and encourage listeners to question everything they know. I'm your host, Bill Brandenburg. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about preventative health screenings. And in particular, I'm talking about tests, diagnostics, treatments, information, and other resources provided to patients by clinicians. From pap smears to colonoscopies to blood pressure checks, this is just stuff we do all the time, and everyone working in healthcare really should know about this stuff. This is going to be a two-part episode. In part one, we're going to talk about pediatric and obstetric patients, and in part two, we're going to talk about adult patients. Any intervention designed to prevent disease has to have three important components. The first component is that it has to work. For instance, if it is a screening test for colon cancer, it has to pick up colon cancer. If it doesn't do this, it's obviously immediately useful. The second important thing is that the test or treatment or whatever it is has to have a net positive benefit. An excellent example of this point is prostate-stimulating antigen testing. PSA testing is something that's still done very commonly, and it's quite controversial among different groups. Prostate cancer is the most common cancer in men. However, most men with prostate cancer will die with prostate cancer instead of of prostate cancer. One of the issues with picking up prostate cancer is that when we find something like a cancer, we want to do stuff. And a lot of those things we do tend to be procedures, things like biopsies and even things like removal of the prostate. Now, what we found is that by testing PSA, more people get referred to these procedures. And in the end, we saw that many more people were having issues like incontinence, erectile dysfunction, really life-changing bad stuff, and that we weren't actually stopping many people from dying from prostate cancer. Now it's true, PSA does work in picking up prostate cancer. However, when you look at both the benefits and the risks, it becomes a lot more muddy. And for that reason, PSA is not a very highly recommended screening test to be performed on all comers. The final important component is cost. Any population receiving the screening test needs to be able to afford the screening test. Now in the United States, we have this big problem of spending way more money than we have. Both the government and individuals tend to have this problem. That's a bigger issue, but cost is very important and should always be considered regarding screening tests and prevention of disease. So to recap, any screening test has three important components. One, the screening test works. Two, the screening test has a positive net benefit where the risks are greatly outweighed by that benefit. And the third component is cost. We need to be able to afford the test. There are numerous bodies, groups, entities, societies that provide recommendations and guidelines for prevention of disease and other medical problems. The list of groups that provide such recommendations 
and the number of recommendations per group all seem to be rising. Like every part of healthcare and society, this topic seems to be getting more complicated every single year. I would love to be able to go over recommendations and guidelines from all kinds of different specialty societies and multiple countries and put together a really cohesive picture of all the stuff kind of around. Even just doing so in the United States would be really cool. But that is kind of beyond the scope and, and beyond my abilities, quite personally. So what I am going to do is discuss recommendations from one of the most important preventative bodies, and that is the United States Preventative Services Task Force also known as the USPSTF. For this podcast, let's call it the Preventative Service Task Force. Now, this is a group of 16 individuals. All of these individuals are primary care providers with expertise in fields like epidemiology, disease prevention, and things of that nature. All 16 are appointed by a federal agency known as the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. And this is an entity which is under the United States Department of Health and Human Services. And the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services is basically a cabinet-level branch of the executive government, meaning that the president has his cabinet, which includes the vice president, secretary of state, and all these other services, and the Department of Health and Human Services, one of them. The Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality is under that particular cabinet agency, um, along with other things like the CDC and the FDA, and it is that Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality that selects members of the preventative task force and then puts them on, I believe, like four or five year terms. The reason why I like the Preventative Services Task Force is because they are generalist providers. They're not specialists. They don't have a lot of interest in one area and as a result they're for one able to look at things with kind of a bird's eye view and look at the whole patient which is really important for judging that whole net good and net harm equation. The other part of it is that they don't stand to you know make or lose a ton of money based on one recommendation. For example if you're you know someone who makes a ton of your money off of something like colonoscopies it's hard not to have somewhat of a, an influence on your recommendations regarding something like a colonoscopy for preventive screening. And so because they kind of have the bird's eye view and because they're not so tied to certain, uh, you know, a small group of things which could potentially bring them a lot of revenue, I think they're able to make the, the most unbiased decisions. I'd love to hear what other people think about that because uh, I'm sure there's a lot of debate about that, so... The thing I don't like about the Preventive Services Task Force is that they do not consider cost at all when deciding about whether to recommend against or for a screening test. I think that this is good because it allows them to really just judge the test and not look at money, but my goodness, we got to start looking at money. Things are getting out of control from a financial standpoint. The Preventive Task Force uses a grading system to kind of give a score to any preventative test or exam or whatever. It starts with grade A recommendations which have the highest benefit to risk ratio. 
Grade B recommendations are still recommended, but have a higher chance of risk or a lower chance of benefit. Grade C is indeterminate, meaning that it's unclear whether or not the benefits of the test outweigh the risks. And then grade D recommendations basically show a net uh, harm over benefit and are quite frankly not recommended. These are things which have been at least adequately studied enough to make that determination. And finally there are grade I recommendations, meaning that there is insufficient evidence for the preventative task force to make a decision one way or another that there's uh, greater benefits or greater risks, more research is needed. In my opinion, the two most important levels are the grade A recommendations, because those really have a high benefit risk and a, and a low chance of harm, and I think most of us should be recommending those at this time, or at least thinking about those in all our patients. The other really important group is the group D recommendations. They've been studied and shown to cause harm. As doctors, we do so many things that are not indicated, may cause harm, have been studied and st shown to cause harm, and we really need to stop doing that. We need to stop hurting patients when we know that, uh, when we have enough information to make that determination. Okay, with that introduction, let's talk about the recommendations for pediatric patients. Okay, newborn baby. Three things. What do you do? Well, we usually apply erythromycin ointment to baby size. We usually give them an intramuscular injection of vitamin K, and we usually give them their first dose of the hepatitis B vaccine. Now, the only preventative task force grade A recommendation for pediatric patients is the application of prophylactic ocular treatments to all babies. This includes your 0.5% erythromycin ointment, and the reason is to prevent gonococcal ophthalmia neonatorum. In moms that deliver vaginally that have gonorrhea, the transmission to baby's eyes is like 30 to 50%. And this disease can cause blindness within 24 hours, and blindness is a bad way to start life. And so I think that um, that is a really important thing in general, and, and make sure you're looking, uh, you know, trying to get your moms to let you put that uh, erythromycin ointment on baby's eyes. I did this to hundreds of babies and didn't see any issues with any of them, and I think that's what most people's practice is in general. Rarely it can cause some uh, contact issues, but very, very rare. The Preventative Task Force does not make uh, any statements regarding vaccines in pediatrics other than referring to the Centers for Disease Control. Pediatric vaccines are extremely important including the initial hepatitis V vaccine and every patient should be encouraged to complete the entire course of pediatric vaccines. This is probably the greatest accomplishment we have done to date in modern medicine. We've removed crazy uh, devastating diseases like polio and smallpox and things that used to be kind of the leading killers are now gone. 
So please utilize those tests as well. As far as the vitamin K goes, I couldn't find a recommendation um, regarding that by the Preventive Task Force. I didn't look at some of the other things like the American Academy of Pediatrics. I think the vitamin K is really important. Babies haven't really revved up their clotting factors just yet, and the vitamin K can help prevent you know, really devastating things like... Um, intracerebral hemorrhage and other bleeding problems. And so I think that one's important as well. It just wasn't talked about specifically by the preventative task force. Moving on to grade B recommendations. The first one is to counsel all school-age kids to avoid tobacco and nicotine products. I think this is just profoundly important. The chemical addiction of nicotine is extremely controlling. I watch kids kind of change their whole lives, remove themselves from such social situations just to, you know, take a hit of a jewel, and it's time to put a stop to that. So, so counsel your kids about quitting tobacco. Testing for vision in kids age 3 to 5 to prevent amblyopia or a lazy eye is also a grade B recommendation as we can patch the affected eye and, and prevent it from getting worse. I think that's a really actionable screening test and people should pay attention to that. The next one is uh, screening kids that are greater than six years old for obesity. And if they are obese, uh, providing the child with pretty aggressive behavioral interventions regarding diet and exercise. Obesity is crazy. It's out of control. We've got to put a stop to it. We can't allow it to keep getting worse. I think in the end, it's going to be personal responsibility uh, that's going to solve the problem, but I think as physicians, let's be on the front line of encouraging that. The next recommendation is depression screening in kids between 12 and 18 years old. Depression is one of the leading causes of comorbidity. We'll talk a lot more about that on the podcast, but, um, you know, just a simple one or two questions like a PHQ-2 or even just how you feeling, how you doing can really uh, be enough to, um, you know, do that quick, quick screening in your clinic. And then the, the final grade B recommendation is regarding fluoride in the water. Fluoride is extremely important for the development of new strong teeth. And in areas where the fluoride in the water is suboptimal, it's recommended that uh, kids less than five years old supplement their fluoride intake. It's also recommended that uh, docs or dentists or whoever apply varnish to new primary erupting teeth. Um, you've probably heard things like oh, encouraging the city to fluorinate the water, and this is this is really the reason why it's so important for the development of strong teeth and probably strong bones as well. There are no grade C recommendations for the pediatric population. However, there are several insufficient evidence recommendations highlighting the need for more research. This is such a huge group of things. It highlights the need for more research. We're really bad at deciding what things are helpful and what things aren't in the, abscess, in the absence of a proper trial. So please go out and do research and study this stuff. You know, most of these things on the list are things that... Uh, the clinics that I've worked in are doing all the time. So it's interesting to, to think that, wow, all this stuff doesn't really have any great evidence. And obviously on a, on a population scale has a huge cost. So I think in all these indeterminate areas, studying would be of great benefit. Um, I'm just going to list them off. So checking for scoliosis, um, screening for child mistreatment if there's no evidence of mistreatment, on your encounters. Screening for alcohol use in kids 12 to 17 years 
old. Checking blood cholesterol in individuals less than 20 without risk factors. Screening for autism in kids that uh, have no concerns and that parents have no concerns. Checking a blood test for iron deficiency anemia in kids aged 6 to 24 months. Screening kids less than 5 years old for speech problems that don't have any obvious speech problems. Checking lead levels in kids less than 5 years without any symptoms. Checking for cavities before age 5. Counseling by primary care doctors regarding illicit drug use. And finally, checking blood pressure in asymptomatic kids and adolescents. The Preventative Task Force did not provide any grade D recommendations regarding the care of pediatric and adolescent patients. However, if you check out the Choosing Wisely campaign, they frequently uh, say just about don't do anything to kids and stuff. So take a look at that. Really interesting stuff that we do all the time is probably not warranted. As stated now multiple times, there are so many other agencies that provide recommendations regarding disease prevention. Uh, one interesting one is injuries. Uh, the USPS or Preventive Task Force doesn't really talk about injuries because another agency underneath the Department of Health and Human Services, the Health Services and, or sorry, Health Resources and Services Administration goes over a ton of different kind of safety and injury stuff like uh, having kids wear seat belts, not turning up the water heater in the house too high, encouraging parents to lock up firearms, all kinds of different stuff, which is so important. I think it, at the end of the day, it sometimes can get hard within an office visit to take care of the patient and do all these screening tests, which require a doctor, and then do all these other screening tests, which are kind of more almost public health um, things. I think having a handout of all the stuff that's good for like uh, accident prevention and stuff like that is really nice and you can just kind of hand it to mom and dad. They have it, they can take it with them and, you know, provide good care and good good prevention and safety for their kids. Another recommended screening by the Health Resources and Services Administration is the Universal Newborn Screening. This is a test done on pretty much every newborn baby in the United States and probably a lot of other countries as well. It picks up things like phenylketonuria, sickle cell disease, you know, thalassemias, maple syrup urine disease, and various other genetic disorders. Um, it's thought to be really important. A lot of those genetic diseases um, can be acted upon early and, and that can improve the the kids outcomes. So a final universal screening test that the preventative task force didn't address but I know they have in the past is universal bilirubin screening. And so that is the idea that every newborn baby regardless of if they have jaundice or symptoms or look bad should be tested for bilirubin. This is a fairly controversial thing. Babies that get too high of bilirubin can in very very rare instances have a buildup in their brain and it can cause a devastating neurological insult called kernicterus and it's just like one of those never events that if it happens it's absolutely horrifying. 
Now, I've never seen that. I know it does happen. There's plenty of case reports, and it, it, it does happen every year in the United States. However, from, from my experience, I've, I've seen a lot of kids who have been borderline slightly elevated. We otherwise wouldn't have thought anything of it. And then we're having parents come in, you know, every other day for a few days, or we're sending them home with lights. And it just causes a lot of, uh, a lot of grief in parents', parents lives. And I think that uh, that's one of those things that really needs to be studied on a large scale. Because Kernicterus is so rare, it probably re would require a huge study and probably would never, be, you know, probably will never be done, but it's definitely something that we need to keep thinking about. Alright, so in summary, there was one grade A recommendation for pediatrics, and that was to prevent gonorrheal infections of babies' eyes by providing prophylactic treatment like 0.5% erythromycin ointment. There were no grade D recommendations, but there were tons of uh, kind of grade C and determinant recommendations. So much more study is needed on pediatrics uh, to enable us to take the best care and provide the best preventative services for those patients. Okay, because this episode has gone on longer than normal, I'm going to go ahead and stop for now, and we'll come back with a middle part that will be obstetrical care, and then a final episode will be regarding preventative screening in adults. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Full Scope Podcast. You can find a lecture summary, key points, and any references on our website, fullscope.org. Additionally, this is the official podcast of Wonder Medicine PLLC, a for-profit medical clinic located in Boise, Idaho. As Carly and I own the clinic and draw revenue from it, we thought we should uh, d disclose it as a conflict of interest. Disclaimer alert! It's a trap! The Full Scope podcast was designed and created for educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or provide clinical knowledge specific to the care of any actual patient or population of patients. If you are in need of medical advice or treatment, contact a physician. The views and opinions portrayed on Full Scope are Dr. Brandenburg's. They do not represent the views or opinions of Wander Medicine Clinic, any of the academic institutions mentioned on the Full Scope podcast or website, or any of the hospitals which Dr. Brandenburg has or currently works at.